This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Gist is brought to you by Slack. Slack brings all your communications at work into one place. Create a new team right now at slack.com slash gist, and you'll get $100 in credit for when you decide to upgrade to a paid plan. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Wednesday, April 13th, 2016. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Kobe Bryant is retiring after tonight. Kobe Bryant has the third most career points scored in NBA history. He's ahead of Michael Jordan. He's about 3,400 behind Carl Malone. But he's only 60-shot attempts behind Carl Malone. And knowing Kobe, he could tie the mailman tonight. But I don't want to talk about Kobe's stats. I want to talk about Kobe's song, or at least the song he is depicted as conducting in this commercial, a charming commercial issued by Nike. Fans, luminaries, including the Sacramento Kings cheerleaders, Benny the Bull, and Phil Jackson, all serenading Kobe about what a great villain he was. I like this commercial because it's funny, it's well done, and unlike so many sports commercials, its emotional appeal doesn't rely on refuting the truth, exactly refuting the truth, like Lance Armstrong. What am I on? I'm on my bike, busting my ass six hours a day. What are you on? Just do it. Well, to be clear, you're also on growth hormone, cortisone, erythropoietin, steroids, testosterone, probably yak's blood. Then there was Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter. Gatorade depicted him walking through the Bronx neighborhood where Yankee Stadium is, greeting locals as if he was Fiorello LaGuardia hitting the hustings in 1937. Seven, <laughs> Who's winning? We are. Hey. Jeter. I doubt Jeter had ever been more than 12 steps away from the outside of the stadium. Or how about this, when LeBron James returned to the Cavaliers and said these inspiring words. We're going to grind for this city. They're going to support us, man, but we got to give it all back to them. And the visual in this commercial is LeBron and his teammates all huddled up, and then fans start coming onto the court, and they huddle up, and the whole city of Cleveland huddles up. But of course, if a fan enters the court, he'd be immediately arrested or charged $2,000 for a seat. But wait, it's meant to be symbolic, Mike. Yeah, symbolic of what? LeBron's love for Cleveland, which he spurned? Cleveland's love for LeBron? Yeah, he better make the finals. We'll see how far this love goes. So I like the Kobe ad. You hated me, and now I'm out of here. And as far as passing the torch, I'm Kobe. There'll be no passing. On the show today, another iconic American who also made more than $300 million in career earnings. Actually, that Kobe Bryant figure, yeah, that's how much he made just in salary. But that's only walking around money to my spiel subject, Mark Zuckerberg. But first, the world is out there waiting to be explored and obscure a day on this Saturday offers some great possibilities. 
Lifting the veil off the obscurity of the world via Obscura Day is David Plotz. He's the former editor of Slate. He hosts the Slate Political Gab Fest and is the CEO of Atlas Obscura, which is an interesting and beautiful site that gives us an interesting and beautiful day. The 16th, in fact. What is Obscura Day, David? Obscura Day is the day when all around the world, we at Atlas Obscura try to get as many people as possible to celebrate the idea of exploration and adventure in their own lives. And so we create almost 200 what we call like micro-adventures in 35 states and 25 countries, which allow you to get out and explore your world. It might be to see someplace in your city that you didn't even know existed. It might be a behind-the-scenes access to a place that you've always wanted to get access to. It might be a place that's familiar but seen in a new way. It might be doing something special like doing taxidermy or doing a Civil War amputation. But the idea is that we're all explorers and that around the corner from you, wherever you are in the world, there's something amazing to see and discover, and we're going to help you get out and explore. And Obscura Day, everyone's going to do it. Yes. So we'll take you inside the troll hole of Alliance, Ohio, the Rollins Puppet Cave of Wonder, which is better than the former Rollins Puppet Cave of Whimsy in Independence, Missouri, the Colorado Money Museum, backstage at the Bob Barker Marionette Museum, and then the international ones are just fantastic. Tallinn, Estonia. The, oh, the yeah. Prison. Potteri. Oh, Potteri Prison. God. And the description of Potteri Prison, they don't hold back. Join us on Obscura Day to go deeper into the prison than regular tours are allowed, seeing the execution chamber where KGB officers shot prisoners in the back of the head. Sign me up. It's going to be great. Potteri Prison is a beautiful spot in Tallinn, which is a beautiful city. And it's an amazing place that had this very dark history. It's been reborn, but it has this dark history. It's going to be, it's going to be incredible. Or there's this Italian one, which I would love to go to. There's this this Italian religious organization, shall we call it, that created its own underground temple it, just underneath the house where they, they just dug deep down. And they have this, create this enormous, incredibly beautiful underground temple. It's really like the eighth wonder of the world. And it's underground. They don't really let people in. And they're letting us in to, to go bring a group in to see See this strange underground, modern underground temple. Underground temples of the Federation of Damaher. Damaher, yeah. Damaher. And also in Italy, there is the uh, Studio Pescarella is doing an exploration of the Carrera Marble Quarry. So how much of this stuff is tourist attractions with a little extra? And how much of this stuff is totally unique for Obscura Day? It's a mix. Some of them are definitely tourist attractions, or there are certainly attractions that people go to. I'm just looking at there's a something at the Cincinnati Observatory. That's a, an observatory that's open to the public. And like that night, they're just saying, hey, we were going to do a little extra for you guys on Obscure Day. And then there are places that are just really, really unusual. Which uh, So there's this, this spot in Nevada called the Republic of Malasia which is one guy's, he's created his own country in Nevada, and he has his own passport stamps and, and currency, and he's going to, he's the president, he's going to greet everybody, and you're going to get to spend time with the president of Malasia. That's not going to the Natural History Museum. It's an unusual spot. 
Now, I have to tell you, the guy who uh, founded the Republic of Malasia, so is he a libertarian, you ask yourself? Is he some sort of hippie guy? Well, just judging by what he's wearing, which looks like a little like a doorman's uniform, but with extra big epaulots and a sash with uh, green, white, and blue, which is, I think, the Estonian flag colors. A lot of medals. Don't know who gave him the medals. I think he's the only person in Malasia. I'm a little worried about the Republic of Malasia's democratic yeah. inklings. Yeah. He's also wearing those sunglasses that, that Pinochet <laughs> used to wear yes. so it doesn't you i don't think you're going to get disappeared if you go there but just <laughs> definitely leave a, uh, a a a number where you're going to call in case you don't come back waivers must be signed exactly there's if you want to call this tourism or maybe there's a exploration is a little like broadcast media itself in that in the 1970s and the 1980s when we only had a few channels maybe it expanded with cable the whole idea was broadcasting so as not to offend things were generally narrowed down and if you were into indie anything it was a niche that you had to seek out and i kind of sense the same thing with tourism in around the same periods and now that there's so many different forms of media to explore. There are literally different things to explore. And the appetite was always there. It was just a function of the age where people kind of assumed that the taste of the public was a lot blander than it really was. I think that is exactly right. What has happened with media is happening with, with tourism and with experiences. And that there's a, there's a thirst, I think, for people to find something that is different and unusual and, and to have it genuinely personal and strange and and remarkable and eye-opening experience and that's kind of the principle of obscure day is it's also that you don't even have to go to a himalaya to have that experience you don't have to go across the world that actually if you just choose to see your own city in a particular way you can have that experience wherever you are so it seems like there are two problems with Obscura Day. One is you live in a place that's too far from an event. And although there is one in Beijing, if you live in Shanghai, you're a little out of luck. The other is you live in a place with too many events, Seattle and Brooklyn among them. So two questions. Do you call it down? Do some places pitch you on, you know, 10 Obscura Day events and you have to make it, you have to decide on only six? We decide. I mean, we're the ones who go out and kind of create most of the events. Mm -hmm. There's only a limited number we can create, even in Brooklyn, where we have, we're obviously well-staffed, we're headquartered there. But even there, we can only, yeah, we can only put together 10 or 15 events because there's just a limited bandwidth we have to do it. But I agree, like, I, I think the, the, the thing that I want to keep building on is to be able to do it in places that aren't just Brooklyn and Seattle. I mean, we are now in 25 countries and and, but but it's true. If you're in Canada, the only thing we have in Canada, I think, is in Vancouver. So so if you're in Toronto, what are you going to do? It's a problem. Right. So I would encourage people to create their own obscure day, like go out and and use that day to, to find something amazing around Toronto and and explore it. And the closing question is, which one are you going to? And if you could clone yourself, I don't know, I'll give you two clones. Where would you go? I'm going to be in Washington, and I'm going to go to uh, three events, one of which I'm leading, which is a, a tour of Fort DeRussy, an old Civil War fort in the uh, forest in Washington, overgrown in the forest and just right in the middle of the city. It's very cool. Uh, and I'll lead a tour there. And then I'm going to go to the Civil War amputation. And then there's a, there's a mansion called Tudor Place where we're having an end-of-day uh, party. And that's a beautiful house, which I've always wanted to see. So that's what I'm going to do. If I could clone myself, uh, there are two things I would think I would do. There's a garden in Ireland called Brigitte Celtic Garden or Celtic Garden, which just looks beautiful and strange. And it's, it's an ancient Celtic civilization reimagined as a garden. And I would love to go see that. 
And then I'm a golfer and there's a thing outside of Seattle or maybe it's, a, it's in Tacoma where they're going to do a hickory golfing day where you can go play golf with hickory clubs. And it's all about how people used to play golf. And so I would go, I'd go play hickory club golf. That would be really fun. Oh, wow. That sounds awesome. And as for me, I'd go inside the Cutter Midget. What? Why did they name the Cutter a Midget? Oh, it turns out it was named after a guy from the Coast Guard, actually named Midget, John Midget. Seattle, Washington, inside the Cutter Midget. Even if you can't go, just check out the events on atlasobscura.com. Like I did, they'll lead you down paths of places you never new existed and places you're going to want to go. And if you can go, again, it's April 16th. David Plotz is the CEO of Atlas Obscure. Thank you, David. Thanks, Mike. Slack's a messaging app for teams. It brings all of your communication at work into one place, integrating with the tools and services you use every day. All right, that's the official line on Slack. But what's really going on on Slack? I'll give you a glimpse at the Slate Slack. There's a little part of it called Slate Sports. And in it, Dan Coist is just posting soccer goal video after soccer goal video. And this, I think, led to an idea. Hey, let's do a cut-up of soccer goal videos. Donald Trump calls out Jordan Spieth for choking in the Masters, one Slate employee says. Much fun is had with this. And then other channels about industry news or editing channels. There's, it's like, it's a sandbox. People are contributing ideas that could be helpful, could show up in Slate. People are contributing ideas that are just hilarious jokes and one-offs. It's casual conversations. It's work conversations. It's a confluence of the two. It's a place to organize them. So we have a little thing called Slate Bullshit. I'm going to divulge that. And Slate Bullshit is so you don't bullshit over the thing called Slate News. Anyway, Slack wants to make your life simpler, more pleasant, more productive. As you heard, we use it here at Slate. And it really does help with streamlining things, okay? The the, the stats that they say is that once you use Slack, you have a 32% productivity increase and a 48% reduction in internal email and 25% fewer meetings, which is really important. I don't know if those exact stats apply, but definitely fewer emails. Things seem to be fun, easy, and in the same place. So visit slack.com slash gist, create a new team, and you'll get $100 in credit for when you decide to upgrade to a paid plan. Slack.com slash gist gives you all the information there. And now the spiel, virtuous unreality. And from San Francisco, it's the F8 Summit. Here's Mark Zuckerberg. The work that we're all doing here together is more important now than it's ever been. That line didn't really get much of a reaction from the crowd of acolytes. F8 Summit, they all develop products and services around Facebook. So four minutes later, Zuckerberg says almost entirely the same thing, but this time he pauses. That's why I think the work that we're all doing together is more important now than it's ever been before. So it gets the applause. The headlines out of this talk were all over the place, depending on the news source. So on Mashable, it was all about the chat bots that will empower Messenger. In Politico, it was a pretty veiled reference, I thought. I didn't even catch it, but he said something about building walls that keep us apart, and that was reported as a shot against Donald Trump. On NPR, it was concerns that interconnectivity could empower arms dealers and might perpetrate genocide 
Not kidding about that. But to my ears, Zuckerberg is a brilliant, but possibly naive, perhaps willfully naive guy who mistakes the virtual from the real consistently. Here's how he talks about virtual reality. We're always trying to get closer to this purest form of capturing an idea or an experience. A pure form of experience, which includes strapping on goggles and a headset. Granted, the VR does look cool, but Zuckerberg says it's more than cool, it's pretty much real. So I think that virtual reality has the potential to be the most social platform because you actually feel like you're right there with another person. No, you don't. It's great, it's immersive, but that's not actually how you feel. The simulacrum is a cool experience. It's analogous to lived experience, but it's in the analogy where the delight lies. The difference may be slight, but it seems to me that's why you like virtual reality, not because it's the same as doing it, because it's not doing it, but it seems like doing it. I don't know if Zuckerberg's blinded by self-interest. I don't know if he's a capitalist. Sure, he is a capitalist, but maybe he's mostly a showman. Maybe he's a little bit of a visionary. I watched his whole speech, and I've never really seen him and considered him at length before. I think I thought I had, because I watched The Social Network, and I really like Jesse Eisenberg's portrayal of Zuckerberg. But the more I got to know this version, which is him making a speech for 30 minutes at the summit, the more I began to think that while he comes off as dorky and uncomfortable, those are actually virtues for Zuckerberg, because those qualities make him seem more human than his ideas actually warrant. And our goal with artificial intelligence is to build systems that are better than people at perception. So seeing, hearing, language, and so on better than people. So Zuckerberg's two examples were an app that recognized faces and pictures that will promote shareability, he said. And then he cited these two examples. Newsfeed uh, uses AI to show you the best stories. And we use AI uh, to filter spam out of Messenger. How is that better than human perception? The best stories, full stop. That's newsfeed. That's the thing that's going to destroy the news business and everyone in the news business is afraid of that. That's, that's the time he gave to that. We'll give you the best stories. And then this thing about spam fighting, which is really just trying to push back against the flaws of a communication technology with more technology. I would not put that under the rubric of better than human perception. And look, Zuckerberg is awkward in speech. He's unsteady in demeanor. I almost want to rush to his defense. He seems so well-intentioned. You looked at another way, he is one of the, I don't know, 20 most influential people on the planet. And I almost can't believe he believes this stuff he's saying. Listen to these two phrases at the beginning and end of this clip. Listen to how they occur and exist within, I don't know, eight seconds of each other. We know that for every 10 people who get online, about one person gets lifted out of poverty because they get access to tools for education and finding jobs. So in our 10-year roadmap, we're focused on all of the things that we need to do to help more people get online. From making data cheaper to building completely new technologies like drones and satellites and laser communication systems. Fighting poverty and drones and lasers. It's the same thing, really. Poverty, drones, lasers. I have good intentions, but lasers, now that's cool and profitable. Oh, they're so profitable. And listen to how he talks about this one feature. Admittedly, it's cool, but check this out. We built a tool that can now actually start to look at photos and understand what's in them. And it can read them out loud to you if you can't see the photo. 
So this is a great use of AI. And it's an important step towards making sure that everyone has equal access to information. What? Like I said, it's a useful tool. It might be a useful tool to a blind person. But it seems to me that decoding pictures isn't the fundamental way that a blind person wants to experience the world. Maybe it's how a sighted person would assume a blind person wants to decode the world, assuming the sighted person spends no more than like 50 seconds thinking about it. And here's Mark Zuckerberg describing the world's interconnectivity. I hope that we have the courage to see that the path forward is to bring people together, not push people apart, to connect more, not less. We are one global community. And then he starts listing some archetypes, like a mom in India or a dad in the US. The daughter in Sierra Leone, who just needs basic healthcare and education so she can stay safe and reach her full potential. And that young boy in Syria, who is doing the best he can with the cards he's been dealt to find a good path forward in the world. That boy in Syria is apparently Jimmy Cagney in a 1940s movie. What a plucky upstart. Those cards he's been dealt are ace, jack, two of spades, barrel bomb dropped on him by Bashar al-Assad. And that girl in Sierra Leone is trying to reach her full potential. Perhaps she better focus on trying to reach 60 because life expectancy in Sierra Leone is 57. Sierra Leone, 32% female literacy rate, 11th worst infant mortality rate in the world per capita income, $580. It's going to take more than an app or technology or a mention in a Zuckerberg speech to get in there in Sierra Leone and make their life appreciably better. Yes, Mark Zuckerberg, we'll take your apps, we'll take your website, and you seem to have your heart in the right place, so we'll take your money. But pardon me if I'm not that impressed by the depth of your worldview. When Bill Gates talks about, I don't know, literacy or guinea worm disease, he sounds informed Sounds hopeful, but he sounds realistic. He sounds mature. Zuckerberg, who's 31, seems like a child. A child in San Francisco who just needs to stop talking about geopolitics like it's a Disney movie. At the end of his speech, the audience of acolytes cheered wildly. To assure this reaction, he announced he was giving them all a free Gear VR headset and a Samsung phone, with the implication that if the virtual reality goggles worked out, everyone at the next conference might just reach under their chairs and pull out world peace. That's it for today's show. The happy-go-lucky coal miner in Mozambique who just needs a shovel. That hard-working just producer, Andrea Salenzi, who just wants a hand up. That executive producer of Slate Podcast, Steve Lichtai, who yearns for his own desk. The yurt salesman in Outer Mongolia, who would like a marketplace to peddle his extra yurt inventory. The chief content officer of the Panoply Networks, Andy Bowers, who wants to greenlight the next yurt-related podcast. The gist, do you really like us or are you just relying on demonstrably flawed human perception? Hey, have some free virtual reality goggles. It's like you're right inside the yurt. Oomperu, deperu, duperu, and thanks for listening. <laughs>